0: Previously on Story Jazz, Six Seas. Jesus, something keeps pinching me down here. And uh, Donnie splashes off, going, Shark, crabs, sharks, crabs. Between the black watermelon seeds,
1: a golden pomegranate seed floats up. And the moment the air touches it, it explodes as Aniga feels a slight tingling in her toes. What is that? And he looks toward the horizon. A
0: silver ship. Who are you? What What
1: are you? That is Jane's silver eyes. My eyes carry no sight, but they carry a perfect heading.
0: I have a task for you. I wish to draw upon that magic to bring a terrible force down on your mother, a terrible force that was once brought up down upon me and that I plan to eradicate from this world.
1: Shane silver eyes touches Melody softly on the cheek, with a tenderness we've never seen before. I don't trust the, the silver spear, and I don't trust my mother, but pirates are always serious about curses, almost as serious as you are about honor. Iniga looks at him, but she notices that
0: her feet are stuck in the roots of the stump. Hey, this is not normal.
1: And then he hears it. Oh, I hope, uh, I hope you know what you're doing, Jane. Grandpa, Shh. do you fall asleep again? <laughs> Grandpa, <laughs> wake up, Grandpa! Uh,
0: oh, <laughs> excuse me, little boy. Uh... Little child, whose name I know because you are my uh grandchild, so uh where was I anyway i It feels like I've slept for almost two weeks uh, right. I was telling you the tale of young uh, Iniga and Donny Kachao, one of the great tales of the six seas of Salvador uh wh- while we're here taking a little break in this. Nice old tavern. Uh, does anybody have any questions? How are your marshmallows? Do they taste fine? If you burn them, you have to fig- fish them out with your bare fingers. That's what makes you a real pirate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I have a question, Grandpa.
0: Shoot. Uh, don't actually shoot. Why, where did you get that pistol here? Let me take that. Uh, little boy, little girl, little little, small child person. What is your question?
1: Why is Kachow written on Donnie's underwear? That
0: is an excellent question. I think it was just a matter of, uh, uh, visually showing the character's name, uh, which I realize now is not actually relevant because this is an audio medium. No, uh, forget that I ever said that. Uh, you know, some people are vain, and, uh, Katow's mother is, uh, the one who ordered those underwears for him, and, uh... Right, that, and so she had her name printed. Actually, Donnie is really concerned that people will steal his underwear. He lives with pirates, after all, right? So that's the. Re- I gave you three reasons now. That should be enough for
1: you. Okay, next question. <laughs> Does Donnie ever see his mom again?
0: Well, uh, that's a spoilery question, isn't it? Uh, we, we, we're not going to gonna get there yet. That's not the kind of question you're supposed to. We're, we're, this is the episode where we answer those questions. I see already you kids are uh, too savvy to be asking questions. Hey, so maybe we just dive into the story. Grandpa, Grandpa, I actually noticed a few plot holes. And Okay, we're starting the story now. <laughs> Shut up, then. Eat your marshmallows and uh, listen closely as we go back into the six seas of Salvadore. Wow, my voice is already sore and we've only just begun. That's what you get for doing a pirate voice. <laughs> hey, everybody. Uh, it's just, It's Story
1: Jazz, the podcast show where we come up with stories on the fly and make everything up. I'm Sam. And I'm Softy. Uh, great to not hear or see you guys again, but great to hear and see you. Well, hear you at least. Well, Sam. great to be heard. To
0: know that somebody out there is hearing our voices, our
1: pleas for help in this time of of terror and indecision, in incredible incompleteness, ineb- inevitable ineptitude. Ineptitude and indifference in the face of enlightenment. Wow. You spitting today.
0: <laughs> well, in uh, that vein, in in another vein, actually, um, we're concluding our pirate
1: story today, aren't we? Well, we hope so anyway. I... We're recording this before we've told the pirate story, so we could totally bungle it before. <laughs> <laughs> we're recording this before we've recorded this, so who knows what'll happen. Well, we're recording this at least before the story happens, so who knows how far we'll get. But I expect to end the story, and uh, I hope you guys will stick with us and, and enjoy it.
0: And and know that this is not the End all end of the Six Seas pirate oh, story. Yes, I I'm am... sure we
1: will return to it. I,
0: I have all these new ideas, and I love the characters so much, so as a
1: as a as a teaser for that, Sam has refused to tell me about a character that he wants to bring in, that he is already in love with, and says that he can't bring it in. This episode probably. And so I'm just waiting for months from now when we return to the story. So I can know what the fuck Years this character is because he won't <laughs> he won't tell me what the character is.
0: We're overhyping it. Decades from now, people will be like, Where's Six C's chapter four? We got Half-Life 3, 4, and 5, but we still waiting on Six C's Chapter 4.
1: Half-Life Alex, Kevin, and Donald <laughs> B. Kachow.
0: Half-Life
1: Darren. So where do you want to start? I want to jump to Nadrina Kachow Mm -hmm. and her first mate, whose name I forgot. Uh, Gatwick Swell. Gatwick Swell. Um, Because we did a lot of uh, Silver Spear, Donald and Anika going up the mountain, starting this raucous waves and a, a, a teetering ship. And I want to know how the fuck Gatwick and Nadrina and uh, Blindy Stumbles are doing on this <laughs> ship. I forgot about Blindy; he's my favorite. So we enter. All right. Okay. Wait. So what, what? what? I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you
0: in that scene, okay? Because you know what you want to do. And I'm no, gonna- I don't
1: know what, I'm, what I want to do. The only way I want to throw us into the scene is I want the sound of a of a piano to rise above. These Swelling Waves. Okay, okay. As Blindy McStumbles begins an operatic ballad, which will be playing in the back of our minds for the rest of this encounter. Wow. It begins in a minor key.
0: A pirate sitting alone in the belly of the red dread. His hands are made of wood and so are his legs. His eyes are lost at sea years ago, and he plays a heart-wrenching tune to which the entire crew slumbers in their hammocks. Gatwick swell hums along quietly as he shaves in his quarters and applies fresh dye to his beard whiskers. Uh, uh, This time he went for a
1: deep red. The kind of red that he only applies when a battle is near at hand. Now he doesn't know that a battle is coming,
0: but he can sense something in the air. There's a taste of old blood
1: on the breeze tonight. That and the fact that Jasper Bacar, the witch doctor, told him that the seeds would find each other, and he can't imagine seeing the seeds again without the seeds of battle being sown as well. Nadrina Kachau sits on the edge of the deck not 10 paces from the churning wheel, as the morning sun starts to rise over the edge of Crescent Croissant Island. (laughs) She thinks for a moment she can see two figures at the top of Crescent Mountain. But before she can fish her telescope out of her pouch, the sea in the bay begins to shift. It begins to rock, back and forth, in an unnatural display, irregular with the tide that she's known her whole life. Much too fast, undulating now. It
0: becomes a swirling vortex. The, the, The dread is turning toward it, and she looks into the crescent and
1: sees that The water seems to be splitting. Boiling, almost. And sparing not another instant, she hops off the edge of the deck onto her two slipper-endowed peg legs and drops down the stairs, sliding (laughs) down the railing, and then knocks on the deck below. And she stamps on it with one foot. And she says, Gatwick, get your ass up here. Ned and Gatwick approach the stern, to look out
0: over the swirling waters. The uh, crew is is hurrying to tie the boat to the dock with more and more and more uh, ropes. There's a, there's a term for those ropes, right? A technical term? Lines. <laughs> Lines, right. <laughs> and Ned hefts her giant saber as um, Gatwick grabs his two bucklers
1: as they look out into these churning waters. Well, Mr. Swell, I don't suppose you might have seen something like this in your days of travel not aboard the Dread?
0: Nay, not seen it myself, no. But before my mind's eye, in tales told to me, I seen the water split
1: like this a few times. It can only be one thing. Well, spit it out, don't be shy about it. If it's be our doom, it be our doom.
0: He instinctually grabs his whisker to pull it to a point and then realizes that it's freshly dyed and his fingers come off red. And he goes, oh, damn. Eh? Uh, well, you might not believe me if I tell you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Mr. Swell, we are carting a hold full of watermelons infused with small pomegranate seeds that threaten to explode at a moment's notice. I'm inclined to believe what you have to offer, if it's any more realistic than that. Okay, well, I'll... I'll, Have you heard the tales of the great ship-eater? I have, but any sailor, any pirate worth their salt has heard of the ship-eater.
0: Right, well, the stories where the water splits like this. Uh, In those stories, it's not the ship-eater who rises from the depths. It is a much older, much more powerful creature. And a lot bigger. And I've heard it called many names, but the one I've heard it called the most is the Island Eater. So that's just to give you an idea of the scale that we're working with. I'm really close to pissing my breeches right now. And it's not because I'm still quite inebriated.
1: Perhaps next time, Mr. Swell, you should dye your beard and pants yellow instead of just your beard. (laughs) (laughs) His beard was yellow in episode one.
0: Yes, I remember. Uh, True friends, remember? (laughs) True friends. Shout out to the true friends out there. That's all of you, by the way. We will never gatekeep. We love you so much. (laughs) As Nadrina jokes, which she always does when great danger is in sight, because she's never allowed herself to show a smidgen of fear in her long career as a pirate captain. Um, The boat rocks like it hasn't this whole time. And for the first time in years, Blinding McSumbles plays a wrong note because the boat rocks so heavily, everybody gasps for air and holds on as a creature
1: starts to emerge from the depths. A row of teeth show on one edge of the bay, one edge of the cove. Pirates always have coves. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're not the teeth of a of a shark, sharp and pointed, ridges upon ridges. They're not the teeth of a whale with their thin filtering lines. Not the teeth of an octopus or a squid with its beaked maw. These are flat teeth, molars, almost as if they're the teeth of a man. Or a woman, or a non-binary person. <laughs> <laughs> yes, or a busted individual.
0: Are you saying these teeth appear on one side of the cove like
1: th-
0: like the, then... other, the other row of teeth are on the other side of the island? Yeah,
1: yeah, huge.
0: The teeth rise out of the water to reveal the top half
1: of a head emerging. And tossed aside like a child's toy in a bath the red dread flows with a huge tidal wave and slides out of the corner of this mouth, right out of the cove and into the open sea as a head rises from the middle of Crescent Croissant Island.
0: Okay, to give us an idea of scale, because I'm a little confused right now, how big is
1: this head... It's the size of an island eater.
0: But it's not rising around the bottom of the island, right? Because the island is connected to the tectonic
1: plate. <laughs> it's not a <laughs> floating right. island. We don't have that kind of science here in 60s of Salvador. Remember, this is all programmed <laughs> on the inside of Third Life. This The croissant-shaped Crescent Island has a cove on the inside In the inside of the cove, on one end arrives some teeth, and on the other end arrives some teeth, and those teeth come together around a mouth, which then raises its head up. And the red dread just barely slips. Just barely slips out of the corner of its mouth. As it chomps its head shut
0: with an earth-shattering chomp. (laughs) Great sound effects. We'll just put a a lot of like bass boost on that sound and see how it sounds. It's a humanoid head, but the flesh is translucent pink and wrinkled from decades of being underwater. Wrinkled and scarred and burned. The eyes are white, milky blobs covered in scallops and barnacles, and the creature opens its mouth once more to take a deep breath, and then it speaks. Hey, what's up? I'm Greg. I eat islands. (laughs) Wait, actually? You want to do this? No. No. I'm not doing this. Oh, the power that we wield as storytellers is so grand. We should, I, we should be I careful could, with it. I, if
1: you said that, I was going to be like, you know, I actually, I, I think I want to do this character's voice. At some point or right now? Right now, right now. Oh my God. Well, actually, actually, right before we do the voice, let's jump to Iniga and Donnie for a second.
0: Iniga is tied
1: to a wooden chair and she's screaming. Bow. She's screaming, but her mouth is screaming gag with this rooted <laughs> vines twisting and squirming.
0: <laughs> and Donnie says, calm down, I'm, I'm gonna figure this out. I'll, I'll, I'll get you out somewhere. I just need to finish this ritual. And she goes, <laughs> and she, he can see by where she's looking that he's missing something. So he turns around and sees a giant fucking head.
1: <laughs> okay. And now he's caught. He's looking back and forth between the head rising from the center of the cove of Crescent Croissant Island And his friend, bound and gagged by roots and vines on an old stump that he knows must be somehow connected to the ritual, but he can't for the life of him figure out what. And he can't possibly clear out the whole plinth, the whole obsidian plinth to figure out what's going on, but he has to do something. So he tears his eyes away from the rising horror climbing its way out the cove and Wraps both hands around the vines, curled around Niga's stomach, and plants both feet, one on either side of her, and pulls, just yanks with all his might, straining against the force of the vines as they're twisting tighter and tighter around her.
0: I can't do it. I don't, I don't understand how to, I never learned knots. I never learned knots. Can you believe this shit? I like math and I'm a pirate and I never learned knots. Anika, you're going to die because I never learned knots. Well, hold up just one minute. No need to panic. And Donnie turns around to see Melody huffing and puffing up the hill. Ha, I'll, I'll learn plenty of knots. I can help you with this.
1: And she runs up. Donnie s- s- stunned and just sort of lets go of the of the vines, knowing only that this was the, the second mate to the dreaded Captain Jane Silver Eyes and could probably kill him with her pinky finger, whether he had a <laughs> fanny pack full of corks or not. So he just backs away from her carefully as this r- r- round woman walks up and with a few twists of her... Of Her thick thumbs around the various vines uh, pulls enough of them away to free Aniga's mouth. Yeah, uh, you got to get me out of here right now. I'm not doing this. I'm not dying here. This is ridiculous. All right. Just hold hold your horses. Just if you can push your elbow out here, it'll give me some room and I should be able to get your leg free.
0: And Donnie's looking at these vines and, and these knots and saying, this is this is constructed. Somebody like, how do I say this? Use like mathematical logic to to command these vines to do this. Maybe that's what the slate is. Maybe this is like... Brain guy. How do I call this? Brain guy. It's like programming almost? (laughs) Sorry, what? Brain guy. Calm
1: down. Right. Uh, What are we doing? Well, we're stopping this ritual, says Melody. I think this has actually gone far enough and... Melody steps on one vine with her foot and grabs another with her hand and pries it open enough for Aniga to free her leg and then her arm. And then, with all of her weight, she hunkers down under the big vine around her stomach and lifts it. And Aniga wriggles her way through and slips out. And the moment that Aniga gets out, Melody lets go and the vines clamp around the, the, the wooden stump, the one shaped like a bench and they just twist around it like the coils of a sea serpent and just s- splinter the 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 stump crushing it in its grasp
0: and um the three of them look up uh, their hearts stopping as the island eater rising from the center of the cove screeches in anger <laughs>
1: I could not, to, for there are audio listeners, I could not hear that. I, I'm sure it got recorded on Samsung, but I apologize for whatever it is you just heard.
0: Melody, Melody looks at him and goes, you shut up, you had enough food already. God, never, never, never satiated that guy. We gotta get out of here fast. Wait, but, Donnie says, wait, 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 wait. Didn't Jane say we have to complete this ritual? Or, or uh, I think she said everyone will die? Whoa, whoa.
1: Well. Help. Let me, let me just level with you here. What Jane says and what Jane does ain't always the same thing. A pink and purple, seared, fleshy hand rises from the depths after this bulbous, oversized, enormous head. So big that its neck is crumpled and crinkled as it holds its weight above the water, clearly not used to being unsubmerged.
0: However, it does breathe, so it was probably hibernating in like low-oxygen slumber. It's,
1: its muscles have just atrophied so far. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not strong enough to hold its own weight above the water It's anymore. huge, but it's weak. The hand rises out of the depths and falls just right beside the pub on the edge of the beach, which is now... Uh, half submerged itself because of the water that has been sprayed everywhere. And it uses that force to pull its shoulder out of the water and its elbow and its other hand, which it places on the far side of the cove. And as it turns and cranes its neck around, its eyes, white and glossy, fall upon the ship hiding on the far side of the island.
0: Uh, as the hand r- lands next to the pub, Jasper Bacar, the witch doctor, snorts awake <laughs> and almost swallows his pipe. It's a water pipe. He almost swallowed his entire water pipe. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, damn. That's a big dream. And he looks at the, at the Titan creature and <laughs> thinks, that's a big real. That's real. That's real. Okay, that's real. Hey, everybody, we are evacuating.
1: <laughs> and he stands up in waist-deep water, and oh. the entire and the, okay. And the entire pub is empty. Everybody and, is already evacuated. <laughs>
0: a boat comes by. the The barkeeper and her child are sitting in the <laughs> boat. Hi Jasper, yeah we were pretty sure that you probably didn't wake up so uh, you want to jump in here and actually survive please? Maybe not we would appreciate having you around because you're a friend. <laughs> and Jasper says, wow, thank you, yes we had better get out of here <laughs> the the barkeep says, do you have any idea what is happening? Like was there always a giant human monster, human-ish monster in, in the croissant there in the Crescent Cove or uh, what? And and Jasper
1: holds up a finger, like he's about to explain. And goes, uh, yes. I don't think we need to linger on this much more. Uh, we just want to know he survives. Jane Silver eyes stands, fingers together, facing the island. For once, facing the direction of where things are happening, as she oh, so often faces away, and. Even though her eyes don't grant her sight, she sees, by virtue of sheer heading, sheer direction, she sees the beast, the island eater, place one hand over the edge of Crescent Croissant Island and peek its eyes over, and their eyes meet. Oh, super cool. One glossy eye to the other. And Jane smiles and says, give him a, give him a name because I want to give a voice.
0: Hello, Adrian. <laughs> it's the first name that came okay, to Okay, I like it. Adrian's good. Adrian's good. And a voice comes back to her, a voice that is, despite the moistness of the situation, cracked and
1: dusty with age a voice that echoes not from the depths of this island-devouring mouth, but ricochets around the minds of every living creature in the vicinity. Donald, Daniga, Nadrina, Gatwick, even Jasper. They can all hear the sound of Adrian's voice. And he says, Jane, you've awoken me. Without a snack. (laughs) Where's my snack? I do declare. (laughs) Oh,
0: Jane says. You'll see in but a moment, my dear. I just need to do one more thing before we meet. Have a little bit
1: more patience. I don't suppose you're going back on our deal. Oh no. I am delivering in full. Nadrina grabs a hold of a line as it whips out of the hand of one of her her mates. She can't hold on to it any longer as the sail starts to ripple and blow as the as the displaced air from the erupting beast starts circling headwinds at every different direction, trying to tear the boat to pieces. And so she wraps her hand around it, and wraps the hand around the railing, and holds the line firm as she barks orders to the rest of the crew. Gatwick is running up and down, telling people to man certain positions and and switch the switch the sails on on certain masts as they're trying to account <laughs> for the changing pressures as they're trying to keep the ship from capsizing out of the out of the the sheer tidal waves that are emerging. He turns to Nadrina. Captain, what are we doing? Are we running or what? We're not going to try to take this beast on, are we? Hold your ground, you scallywag. We're going to wait this one out. This old beastie ain't here for us. And as she says that, the beast turns its head
0: toward the center of the, the Crescent Isle's mountain places one hand hard on one side causing a small avalanche of rocks and mud on another side ripping out trees and houses and lowers its open maw down upon the peak of the mountain and just takes a fucking bite out of the island crunching And as it chews Rocky Road,
1: (laughs) literally. Oh, my fucking God.
0: (laughs) As it chews actual Rocky Road. This is where we are. We hear Adrian's voice resonating in the heads of everyone on the island going, I'm sorry, I do declare. (laughs) It's
1: just so damn hard. I'm so damn hungry. I hope that wasn't anything important to any of you.
0: And one of the villagers, riding down the the waves that are slowly consuming the islands in his tiny little canoe, shouts, that was just my house. It's all cool. <laughs> That's just my house, but this has gone anyway. We're dying. We're all dying. Later.
1: <laughs> Quiet, Melvin. <laughs> says, says did, was that Melody you just said? Uh, no, I think it's just maybe his wife. Okay. Quiet, Melvin. We're getting out of here. (laughs) She's like, you're always
0: complaining. I mean, yes, we're literally dying, but you're always complaining. Like, why don't you see the silver lining in this situation? What is the silver lining, my dear? We're finally having some quality time together as a family. (laughs) Why don't you see the silver spear in this situation? Oh, my God. Is that the silver spear? Oh, my God. We're so lucky to see it. (laughs) Now, that is home tourism right there. Melody, Donnie, and Aniga are running down the side of the mountain.
1: Covering their heads as bits of tree stumps and dirt raining from the sky out of the the hanging mouth, the chewing mouth of Adrian the Island Eater.
0: <laughs> Adrian the Island Eater. Yeah, I was just uh I was just Adrian the guy from the fruit stand back home on Three Heads Island. But um, you know, who who you never know where your career takes you. Now I'm Adrian the Island Eater. I got uh I got Upsized, literally, I'm a thousand times as
1: large as I used to be. Um it's great. I'll tell you what, kids. Don't fondle too many melons, or you'll end up like me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do declare. Melody,
0: Donnie, and Aniga are running down the hill, and and Donnie shouts, wait, wait, I, I hope we're doing this right, right? Like Jane said, everybody will die. And um, it does look like a sort of everybody will die situation is going on right now. So can we like, can you explain what's going on? And Melody just stops for a second and holds him and pushes him up against the tree. And Aniga like sees that and is like, whoa, even Aniga is impressed by that sudden turnaround. And Melody says, okay, quick version,
1: Jane lied. I love her, but Jane lied to you. She lied to you because she needed Adrian out again. I I don't know what she's planning this time. It's been 200 years since we got Adrian out the first time. I can't imagine she'd want to see him again, but she's captain. And what the captain says goes, our best bet now is to survive. Okay, but
0: uh real quick question for clarification. Uh, we're getting out of here because he's eating the island, right? Says Iniga. They don't call him the island eater for nothing. But, uh, Donny wiggles and goes, <laughs> okay, so putting aside the fact, <clears throat> can you stop choking me real quick? Yeah, yeah. and she like just slightly, Sorry. slightly releases her grip. Putting aside the fact that you just said that you're over 200 years old, which will need some clarification at some point, That definitely looked like a sacrificial situation to me up there. Do you think it might be possible that we could have prevented the island eater from going on an island-eating rampage by sacrificing one person? Not to be too mathematical here, but in terms of the greater good, wouldn't it have been better to just sacrifice one person? Sorry, Iniga, And she goes, Well, I mean, I would have poked your eyes out if you tried to sacrifice me, but uh, you're free to go back and uh, sit yourself on that uh, wooden chair if it still works. I don't care, alright? I don't. I'm done with Jane's shenanigans. She never tells me what she gets up to. she I know she's cursed to be emotionally void or whatever, but she does this shit and she, she endangers random innocent people like you two, and I'm not gonna let one of you two get eaten by this monster um, to avert an island eating catastrophe that she brought upon us. I don't see the sense in this. We're getting out of here. I'm taking the silver spear. We're I'm saying goodbye to Jane. I'm done with her. And I'm offering you guys an opportunity to come with me.
1: Aniga looks sort of doubtful at at Donnie. And uh, Donica Child sort of looks back at her and 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 shrugs. Um, and they look <laughs> both of them look back up at the uh at Adrian, the island eater, who's going in for a second helping and taking an old <laughs> bite out of the croissant as one would have it. Holy
0: shit! Yeah, he is! (laughs) (laughs) We cut back to the Red Dread, bobbing up and down crazily on the edge of the cove. Ned and Gatwick at this point are just holding on for their dear lives, and some of the crew are whispering amongst each other, the boatswain, (laughs) which is a term that we haven't used yet, but it's basically The the, the, the person right under the quartermaster, is talking to Gatwick going, what what the fuck is going on why are we not leaving there's a literal like monster of the century going on here let's get the hell out and Gatwick says no we hold fast
1: if the captain says so we hold fast and Nadrina overhears this and she turns to i uh, the bosun sydney the bosun and looks at them and says with a, with a wry grin when you see a monster of the century, and then years later you wonder where the greatest treasures of all time be found, you don't for a second think that those two things may be intertwined. That proves where you belong in the hierarchy of pirates. The pirate. key Py- The pyra one might say. <laughs> true captains, true pirates, true treasure-loving scoundrels like myself. Know that with the greatest risks, and then she turns back to the giant beast, come the greatest rewards. And as if
0: it had heard that, the giant beast turns its head and locks eyes, seemingly, with Ned. And in that moment, Ned the Red Dread, the fiercest, most fiercest, fearedest pirate, of the six C's by her own, if she do say so herself, feels this weird sensation in her chest, like like adrenaline, like like maybe it's that weird thing that she's heard people talk about. She thinks it's called
1: fiar, possibly. This is classic but, but it's, sound joke, <laughs> classic sound joke. Mispronounce a word, pretend he doesn't know what it is. String you along as long as possible. But, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but the sensation is fleeting. It, it disappears immediately as she grins up into the face of this centuries-old creature. And the creature's voice booms again through everybody's heads, saying, Oh, there you are. And the creature turns around, sending a ripple through the water that bobs the ship up and down violently and everybody holds on and some some folks fall to their knees or hit their heads on the railings a few
1: sailors go over the edge
0: and um the creature is turning toward the red dread now bending over and pointing out its tongue which is just a single long kraken-like tentacle oh that's really fucking good and ned looks over to gatwick who looks absolutely shocked. Suddenly, the Red Dread is in the focus of this island-eating creature. W- what What did they do to to attract its attention? They don't know. And Gatwick looks at her with pleading eyes, and Ned sh- uh, 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 shrugs her shoulders and says, Well, fine. Then I suppose we'll get a little distance between us and this bugger. But we're not leaving. And Gatwick says, like, mouths, like, like, thank you. And <laughs> tells the people, hoist the sails! Loose the lines, we're... We need a little bit of distance to this big old bugger. (laughs) As the camera pulls back and around the uh, uh, hull of the ship, we can see suddenly a dozen or so ghost-like men and women, pirates, but monochrome, reflections of pirates, barely real, climbing out of the water, but they're completely dry, up the side of the ship and finding little cracks through which they
1: inhumanly slip through between the planks. Through the holes for the cannons, the edge of the railings, in between the knots themselves. Yes, and
0: phase into the belly of the ship. And, and then, <laughs> walking over the surface of the water, Jane's silver eyes follows her perfect heading, walks up to the red dread, and slips through the hull
1: into the belly of the ship unnoticed by the crew up on deck what the crew does notice though is that as they man their sails as they open up and they try to catch the wind and they start to get going the way only the red dread can as we've seen several times in our previous episodes it lurches to a stop unable to move suddenly anchored in place as if fixed in time and the whole crew Carried with the momentum of the ship, they fall down. They go flinging across the deck as the ship is suddenly fixed in place. And Blindy McSumbles under deck makes a second mistake,
0: playing. But he is switched to a jazz tune, and so the mistakes just become part of the tune, baby. <laughs> He's improvising now,
1: and it's beautiful. He keeps going, he changes keys, and he just keeps going. As all improv always is, no matter how many mistakes the improvers might make, it's always beautiful.
0: hello hello i would like uh, i would like to purchase something in your shop
1: Well, we have potatoes. (laughs) Oh, oh! I do not like potatoes. This this is a potato-only shop. I didn't. I just tell you that I don't like potatoes. Why don't you sell something else here? Well, we do also provide constant listening audio service for one podcast only, and that is Story Jazz with Sam and Softy. Yes, wow! What a coincidence! That's exactly that's my favorite.
0: (laughs) Oh Uh, my God! We are improv uh, magicians. Did you? Could you uh, even tell that it was us? in that scene we were so in character ah uh,
1: i'm softy this is sam and this is our biweekly check-in how are you doing are you drinking water are you staying safe wearing your mask outside um please take care of yourself
0: wow that's a very serious uh, tone but absolutely uh, absolutely correct send us messages at StoryJazzCast on Twitter and Instagram, or uh, write us an email uh, on uh, StoryJazzCast at gmail.com if you want us to know how you're doing
1: or if you have ideas for the show. Or if you're lonely and need friends or if you think I'm lonely and think I need friends. (laughs) I mean, why else would you be making a podcast? Cool stuff uh, upcoming that we should let you know. Uh, This is the last episode of... The six Seas arc. Arc one season. Season one. Season one. Well, I'm sure we'll get back to it. We've got another sh- series, another set of chapters, another story coming another to you arc. soon. Another arc. This next story, just to give you a, a, a little spoiler, is a heist story. Ooh. So expect, a, expect a you know, a, a thievery and trickery a, and impostorship and yes. S- s- Subtalfuge Sub huge <laughs> Also, we're in the ninth episode. We're almost into double digits. Thank you, everybody who's been along the journey so far. Yeah, thanks to all of our friends. Wow, we love you. We love you Nadrina struggles back onto her slipper endowed peg legs back to her feet, and she she grabs a line to steady herself and. Uh, stays her, her other hand on a saber, which she plants in the deck. She licks the salty water off her lips. Gatwick gets up off the deck as well, leaving a mustache and beard, mustache <laughs> and beard shaped red imprint on the deck where he face planted. <laughs> also, his eyebrows. He, he paints his eyebrows too. <laughs> they all look up at the island eater who. Doesn't seem to be making a serious attempt to eat the ship itself, but seems to be wading closer, the water only up to its midsection, no one quite sure what lurks beneath the surface. When suddenly, as if floating up through the deck itself, Captain Jane Silver Eyes, who just a moment before skated across the water, rises from the deck to stand next to Nadrina. Uh, Nadrina uh, uh, jumps out of surprise, not out of fear, and <laughs> looks at her and looks back up at the beast above. In Jane Silvereye's right
0: hand lies a golden fruit, an orb, a pomegranate. And it's cut open so that you can see the 16 notches where 16 golden seeds are meant to be placed. Almost all of the little notches are now filled with golden seeds. In her hand she holds a watermelon and she breaks it or or
1: she she smashes it down onto the deck and fishes out one more golden seed. As she picks it up out of the the remains of the watermelon, it splinters and cracks in her hand like it's like it's just about to explode, like it's like it's a piece of popcorn about to Pop. <laughs> wow, maybe bonkers right. Are... Yeah, it about, like it's about to pop, like it's about to combust. You can see it's starting to glow red, but she holds it in her hand. And it sizzles, sizzles angrily. It wants
0: to explode, but then she th- pushes it into place in the golden pomegranate. She looks at the pomegranate, and there's one last empty slot. She turns it toward Ned and says, You're missing one. You're missing
1: a seed. Before Nadrina can answer, Adrian answers. First you wake me up without a snack to tide me over. And now you threaten me with that measly, unfinished bubble.
0: And Jane says, Well... I did some research, and it turns out the eternal hunger can only be sated by an eternal fruit. I'm sorry, old friend. Uh, Ned shakes her head in confusion and points her saber at Jane's silver eyes. First of all, how dare you steal from me? Second of all, this seems like personal business. Why are you carrying this out on my deck? And thirdly, crew seize her. And Ned's crew, confused, tries to um, juggle multiple tasks holding the ship in place, but also some of them draw their sabers and try to figure out how to attack Jane. And in that moment of hesitation, Jane simply raises her other hand and from below the deck rise the reflections of her entire crew, another 12 or so fierce-looking, black and white, grayscale
1: reflections of pirates, ready to do battle with Ned's crew. Again, emotionless. Again, empty. Wielding blunderbusses and sabers like any good pirate should, but holding them at the ready. A counterattack mere seconds away, but with no threat in their face, as if it is just a duty to be carried out scrubbing barnacles off the hull of the ship. Adrian's voice echoes throughout the island again. Melody and Aniga and Donnie stop at the base of the mountain again, as they have every time Adrian has said anything, because you can't, you can't hardly think when a voice is bouncing around in your brain. I know what the pomegranate does. You can't fool me with such trickery, even if you feel that I fooled you. You asked for this deal. As I recall, you begged for it. You came crying to me, begging me to do anything so that you would not lose your love. And in exchange, you promised to feed me. This island won't feed me, you know that. I need a soul.
0: And Jane's silver eyes looks up at this Titan and simply says, I'm sorry, but I've made up my mind.
1: Back on the island, Eniga and Tani watch Melody slow to a halt, facing out into the open ocean. Everyone heard what Adrian said. But Melody only stops for a second and then she sets off again as inscrutable as Jane herself.
0: Donnie is readying to get in the boat and says, okay, if we're getting out of here, let's get out of here, I guess. And Aniga is looking back at the Titan and she sets her jaw. She says, no. And Donnie looks up and says, what? And Melody even shakes her head and looks at her and says, what? And Aniga says, this threat, this creature, is too powerful.
1: We have We have to. We
0: have to, <laughs> we have to stop it. <laughs> we have to stop it. She turns around to look at the two of them. I understand, Melody, that you have no more interest in messing with these curses and all that. Melody gulps. But we have to stop this enormous threat. Are you serious? I mean, the, the entire Royal Navy won't be able to to kill this thing if it becomes more powerful. Right now, it looks weak. Maybe we... Maybe we find a way to kill it. Get on the red red. get the silver spear right up there as well, and just blast it with all of our cannons.
1: We've got to do something. Donnie looks up at her and says, Is this an honor thing? Is this one of those honor things? Are you trying to get some points here? It's not about points, but... Yes, it's about... Honor. It's about doing the damn right thing. Melody turns to Aniga and says, hey, You're you're right that I've I've had my fill of curses, even if I didn't exactly know what curses I was full of. But you can't just beat Adrian. Jane has been struggling to fulfill Adrian's demands for a long time, and I just I don't think a couple of cannons are going to solve anything.
0: So if what Adrian says is right, Jane has confronted him with the pomegranate, but it's incomplete. She's missing a seed, which means that our only chance of defeating him has failed. Well, Iniga looks up and faces her. That's where you're wrong. And as she smiles wide, we can see that one of her teeth has been replaced by a golden seed.
1: Before Melody can really construct what that might mean in her head, Iniga jumps into the boat and, and Melody hurriedly follows as they start paddling out the silver spear.
0: So <laughs> I'm so glad that we <laughs> found some way to have Iniga's, the, the seed in Iniga's body. And I have no fucking clue how we were going to do it, but it's now just one of her teeth.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's... It was always kind of a weird thing to be like, and suddenly a secret seed is in Aniga. So did you say they're paddling out toward the Silver Spear? Yeah, yeah. So I think we cut somewhere else while they're getting to Silver. Okay, Spear. right. So back to
0: back to the Red Dread. Jane says, "I'm sorry, I changed my mind," and she raises the pomegranate up. And you know how pomegranates have that little like opening on top, that like button made out of. Oh pustule little, looking thing. Yeah, pustule looking thing. And she pushes her thumb down in the middle of that and pushes something down inside. And the seeds light up one by one. And the pomegranate starts humming. But every few seconds, the humming is distorted. Something's missing, right? The pomegranate isn't at its full potential yet, but it's but it's glowing and it flickers sometimes, but it goes. It's trying
1: to, like, charge up with energy, but it's not complete. Like an engine. S- starting, igniting, idling, and then sputtering out again and again. And at the same time, back on the rowboat,
0: Iniga's tooth starts glowing gold, and she starts rowing faster. And um, they reach the Silver Spear and get ready to uh, set sail and and sail over to the to the Red Dread in the
1: middle of the cove. As the massive, wet, scarred, fleshy body of Adrian takes one submerged step after another with legs that could as easily be a mass of tentacles as they could be a swarm of crab sharks, Ooh. approaches the Red Dread, swinging shoulders as his massive hands and slithering tongue drool over the edge. The silver spear picks up speed. Its sails billow as Donnie does more pirate sailing work than he's ever done in his whole life to get these sails going. Melodies at the helm Iniga's barking orders left and right to the only two crew members who are (laughs) under her command. (laughs) As a mermaid, lounged back, with her tail wrapped around the edge of the spear, sharpened to a point at the end, rapidly approaches Adrian's back, just outside of his vision.
0: Ned and Gatwick and Jane stare up into the horrifying abyss that is adrian's mouth a huge tentacle in the center but now they see that behind each of his teeth are rows and rows of more tentacles waiting to grab them and grind them down um and they hear adrian's ancient voice in their heads saying well i suppose i'd better snack you on up then before you complete that little bubble of yours and his mouth gapes around the entirety of the red dread ready to bite down on it and Jane closes her eyes knowing that she must have faith in the eternal fruit in the golden pomegranate that it will be completed before he swallows it because if he eats it incomplete it won't be strong enough to kill him and just as the first of his teeth crunch into the wood of the Red Dread's hull, bending planks and snapping them out of place.
1: A silver spear pierces the knotted, burnt flesh on his back. It punctures his skin and peels away the layers as it stabs deeper and deeper into his back, splitting rib from rib, As the silver spear lurches and slows as its three inhabitants fall over on the deck. And Adrian's enormous form tears up and back away
0: from the red dread, loosening his jaw's grip on the wood. Everybody hears
1: a a screech, a guttural Deep-throated moan from the creature itself, not from the back of their minds, but from the mouth, from the lungs, from the throat of this creature. As again, Adrian's voice slides into the back of their mind. That was unwise, young girl. And he turns around. He arches his neck up and
0: over his back. To fix his white glazed
1: eyes on the silver spear. I, in all my years, did not expect the Royal Navy to show its face in my waters.
0: And Aniga stares back at him and grits her teeth and says, I don't fight for the Royal Navy. I fight for honor. And with that, she draws Melody's saber because she doesn't have one on her right now. And right as uh, Adrian's giant hand comes down to grab the silver spear and pull it out of his back, she jams her saber into the flesh between two of his fingers.
1: And as she's rearing to strike up at uh, Adrian's crushing hand, Donnie jumps in the way and puts a cork at the end of her saber (laughs) to make sure that it's as safe as possible. (laughs) Doesn't have to, go ahead. (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and and Adrian's giant hand bounces off the saber and he isn't <laughs> injured and Adrian wins and everybody dies and it's Donnie's fault. <laughs> no. Sorry. Go for it. Iniga jams the saber into the flesh between his uh, between the giant's fingers. And Adrian annoyed Rips his hand aside, trying to shake her off, but Iniga holds on with all her might. Pulled up into the air, along with uh, her
1: saber. Adrian sweeps his hand across the deck, clearing two masts. The four-masted schooner out, tumbling them aside as like a rag doll. Iniga is drawn back and forth across the deck, barely holding on to the saber deep in his deep in the back of his hand between his knuckles.
0: (laughs) Melody and Donnie, meanwhile, are just cowering as wood splinters fly across their faces and over their heads. And Donnie's trying to figure out the math of how to get Iniga's um, last seed together with the rest of the pomegranate that is glowing in Jane's hand over on the deck of the Red Dread. And he gathers his courage and stands up and runs to the edge of the deck
1: and shouts over and says, Hey, mom! And uh, Nadrina, whose eyes previously were fixed on the thrashing, the thrashing island eater and the the Klingon attached to the edge of its <laughs> edge of its uh, clinging
0: on to its <laughs> to his the hand. Klingon
1: attached to the back of his hand. She whips her head around the sound of her son, and she sees him waving both hands in the air like an imbecile. Uh, on the the <laughs> on the silver spear, a previously four-masted schooner, or, or just on the just barely on the other side of the island, eater himself.
0: Donny cups his hands around his mouth and
1: shouts, "Mom, you know how you love to ram other ships. This would be the perfect time." What are you saying, boy? You want me to ram you? <laughs> <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> what are you
0: saying, stepson? <laughs>
1: Oh, God, please, no.
0: (laughs) How do you suppose we do that? Ram you right now? In these winds? In this situation? And um, Donnie says, It's actually real simple if you can do some basic physics in your head, Mom, okay? I'm gonna run you through it. Turn the front mast to 45 degrees west, or whatever, you know? And then he shouts, like, mathematical orders... To to Nadrina, to to his mother. To navigate the ship. And why would I do that right now? And Donnie says, We gotta piece together the freaking pomegranate! Haven't you been keeping up? (laughs) And um, Ned looks at the pomegranate, looks over at a boy, and decides, finally he's taking things into his own hands. Okay, I'll indulge him this once. And she's spent her entire life sailing by pure intuition by feeling the flow of the wind and adjusting accordingly. And she's never, you know, she's, she's never done a single calculation in her head, but now her boy who never sailed with her, who never really learned the way of the wind and the waves.
1: And couldn't trust his intuition as far as he could throw it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And is, is shouting mathematically deduced commands at her and he's figuring out how to sail on the spot. And they're working together as she reroutes the commands and, moves to ram their silver spear. For once,
1: for for the only time, for probably the only time in her life where she will ever let anyone order her around, she listens to her son. She orders her crew, and Jane's crew follows as well as they... Hoist up masts from from their splintered positions, as they draw the sails, as they pull the lines taut, and they arc around the edge of the thrashing island eater as he's sweeping back and forth, clipping, clipping the the crimson red flag right off the edge of the crow's nest as Adrian stops flailing
0: uh, and holds up his hand for a moment. Iniga meets his eye,
1: uh, and Adrian says, You're really much more of a nuisance than your size might otherwise permit.
0: And Iniga just grins at him, showing him the, the golden seed inside her mouth. And Adrian's milky eyes widen just the slightest bit. And he says, Well, thank you for revealing that interesting piece of information to me. And he brings up his other hand, ready to crush Iniga between his
1: palm and the back of his other hand. And she lets go of the saber and runs down the length of his ring finger and leaps, just leaps, a leap of faith into the open air, knowing that at this height she wouldn't survive the fall. But trusting trusting in the only thing that has ever kept her alive in this ruthless world, trusting that she will act with honor. And if she dies, then she will die with honor.
0: Even if she smashes onto the deck of the Silver Spear right now, (laughs) they'll be able to fish that seed out of her mouth. (laughs) And at the same time, the Red Dread crashes into the Silver Spear. We have never described the figurehead of the Red Dread. Do you want to describe the, the
1: Red Dread's bedhead figurehead right now? I would love to. At the helm of the Red Dread is a medium-sized wooden sculpture of a woman. One leg forward, the other at a 45-degree angle back. One hand is out, one hand back. Like she's just thrown a jab, and she's about to follow it up with an uppercut worthy of the ages. And as that front fist meets the edge of the helm of the silver spear and cracks backwards, and the, the helms come into contact with, with one another, and the decks splinter and intermingle, splintering up, reeling back like a wave of wood. Jane Silver Eyes walks, runs, glides across the deck, glides straight through Gatwick's swell like like she was a ghost, like he was a ghost, like neither were really there, all just digital projections programmed into a game. (laughs) She slides across the deck and up the curling wave of splintered wood from one ship contacting the other. And she floats into the air, her trajectory matching a falling Spanglish lieutenant diving from the hand of a great beast and she catches Iniga softly, like a cloud in her arms, and floats back down onto the deck of the Silver Spear.
0: Iniga lies in the surprisingly soft, yet eternally strong arms of this ghostly figure and gasps for air as she realizes that she is alive and opens her mouth to speak, and in that moment, Suddenly, the golden pomegranate is lodged in her open, gaping mouth. And she goes... (laughs) (laughs) And Jane's silver eyes goes... This won't hurt but a bit. And India goes... uh,
1: uh, uh."
0: As crack, the golden seed loosens itself from her gum. And hurts like a bitch, like a tooth being pulled. And... As though by magnetic force, lodges itself in the final open slot of the pomegranate. And the flickering glow stops flickering, and the distorted hum is no longer distorted as the pomegranate glows brighter and brighter, perfectly golden, and hums with energy. And Jane says, sorry, and drops Iniga onto the deck with the pomegranate still in her mouth, glowing brightly. And he goes, and then pulls the pomegranate from her mouth and says, what, why, why can't you throw it at him? And Jane says, I'm eternal. I cannot touch it if it is complete.
1: What, what are you talking about? They hear the, the sound of squeaky wheels as Melody comes crashing down yes. the deck, pushing a cannon. Um And she says, all right, no time to explain. Get out the way, get out the way. And Donnie leaves to the side, nearly crushed by the cannon, as she rolls it up to the edge of the ship and says, "Aniga, in the cannon. Now, not you, the pomegranate, in the cannon.
0: Oh no, I wanted Aniga to be fired (laughs) out of the cannon. And Aniga doesn't question it. She grabs the pomegranate and thunks it down inside the cannon. And Adrian rears back and bends over the silver spear, shouting, You dare try to destroy an eternal being? I do declare... And in that moment, the cannon fires. (laughs) And a golden cannonball flits so quickly through the sky that you can barely see it. But it perfectly hits Adrian's uvula, (laughs) stopping him in the middle of his sentence. (laughs) And um, he can't not swallow it. It just drops down inside his body.
1: The island eater can do many things, but there's one thing it can't do, and that is refusing to swallow something that's been put in its mouth. Kinda hot, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) And just like that, kids, the island eater ate the one thing it couldn't digest.
0: Grandpa, grandpa! Can it digest marshmallows? Quiet.
1: It can digest marshmallows. I'm, I'm almost at the end of the story.
0: As Adrian, the Island Eater, realizes defeat, he becomes silent. A golden glow starts in his belly and spreads throughout his torso,
1: his translucent flesh his pink and purple veins pulsing and glowing, rippling out from the slowly descending golden dot flowing down his esophagus. He turns to Jane, his hunger, his agony, his strength depleted. And as his milky eyes meet her silver one we hear the last thing the island eater ever says. Jane, Sandra, Samantha, Salvadori. <gasps> I hereby conclude our agreement. But know this, I am not the only thing that lurks beneath the six seas.
0: Oh. Fuck, Silver Eyes is Salvadore.
1: And with that, a bubble forms in the side of his neck, and another forms above his left clavicle, and another forms above his abdomen, as his skin begins to churn and ripple and pustule, as as his whole core begins to bubble and and churn as his rippling skin begins to slither over his bones and and parts of him split
0: open and rays of golden light burst out breaking through through the sky and breaking through the waves and burning brighter
1: than the sun as everybody shields their eyes the skin on his lips peels away from his teeth Curling back over his chin and over his nose and over his eyes, as it's almost as if his skin is folding over itself, revealing nothing but an oversized gray skeleton suspended above the waves as his jaw loosens, as his eye socket begins to collapse as the bones in his neck can no longer support his skull and his spine can't support his neck and his shoulders separate and ribs collapse, bones rain from the sky, splashing into the waves, all around the red dread and the silver spear, locked on one another, keeping each other afloat. And it's only moments before the sea is clear again. And the two ships locked in place, look at a crescent shaped island with two large bite marks out of it.
0: And just as the sea has gone clear, Jane's eyes have gone clear as well. Her eyes are blue now, blue and clear as the sea and her skin has returned to a healthy color and her gray hair is brown again. And she looks at her hands and feels her body and feels her cheek and feels a tear there and feels another tear on her other cheek and feels the lump in her throat and feels just this overwhelming wave of emotion. And she turns to look toward her love. She turns toward Melody who kneels by the cannon, gasping for breath. And Jane runs to Melody's side and kneels by her side and she says, I'm alive, I'm breathing. Melody, I'm breathing, what's what's wrong?
1: And Melody's leaning one hand on the cannon as she's looking at the deck and she says, Captain, I'm... And as she looks up, Jane sees wrinkles forming on her face smile lines on the edge of her eyes as her skin loosens, as her back curls, as her, as her hair whitens. And Melody looks up at Jane, seeing only for an instant the woman she fell in love with, the young beautiful woman she fell in love with before age starts to catch up with her too and at the edge of at the edge of Jane's nose a, a little a little blemish starts to appear and and on the other side her her skin starts to curl and wrinkle a bit as well and her her brown hair starts to gray
0: and um unfortunately she doesn't develop laugh lines because she spent so much time not laughing but Melody understands that
1: Donnie and Aniga on the deck of the Silver Spear and Nadrina and Gatwick on the deck of the Red Dread watch as a thin mist evaporates off of Jane, Silver Eyes, and Melody as their age catches up with them as the hundreds of years that they were granted comes crashing down upon them leaving two impossibly old ladies one hand in the other and it, they can all see their faces and it's not one of sadness but one of joy age is not an inhibition to a love lost and found. Melody looks into Jane's eyes, just taking in every second of that beautiful blue-gray, even as the color starts to fade and they gloss over slightly. She's sure that there's an astigmatism in her right eye, but that's okay. (laughs) She puts one hand on Jane's cheek and says, you did this all
0: for me? And Jane says, I'm so sorry, my love. Spent so many years wanting to keep you close, never lose sight of you. And I paid for it with my capacity to feel (laughs) what a
1: foolish deal. Melody laughs a little.
0: (laughs) But it's all worth it to be able to laugh with you once again.
1: Melody taps Jane a couple of times in the cheek and says, You should have just said yes when I asked to marry you, you dimwit. Uh, Ned watches this, unbelieving, as she sees
0: the only pirate who has ever been more feared than her, namely Salvadore herself, the one who named these seas. The silver spear growing old and weeping with her lover. And somebody else is weeping too. It's Gatwick next to Ned
1: going. He's riping long red lines across his face as he's smearing the dye. Now I know no disrespect to you, Captain, but
0: a pirate who can show some real emotion. That's an inspiring leader. And he takes a knee and puts a hand on his on his heart and says for the greatest prize we all know the greatest prize isn't the gold treasure it's the love we find along the way it's the booty and he's just weeping uncontrollably and um donny is crying too and so is aniga aniga wouldn't admit it but she is yeah aniga's wiping Stray tears off of her cheeks, it's probably just spray from the ocean, and she's, she's
1: not crying. Donnie is ugly crying, ugly, like, <laughs> sad mouth, open crying, snot out of his nose. <laughs>
0: and Ned just crosses her arms, trying not to show any sign of weakness. And Gatwick sobs and sniffs and says, Are you gonna die now? Is that what happens next? Please tell me you're not gonna die. And um, Jane grunts a bit and hoists herself up onto both legs and gives Melody a hand. And Melody pulls herself up and gets up as well. And the two steady themselves, holding each other arm in arm.
1: Melody says, not until this fool here marries me first.
0: And uh, Jane smiles and says, yes. I think we still got a little sliver of eternity
1: left. And with that, Blinding McStumbles, still at the keyboard, changes from his naval combat jazz tune <laughs> to a wedding march, not missing a single key. Jane looks around and says, is there a captain here who would do us the honor of marrying us? It would have to be a captain worth their salt. I'd not get married by any
0: less. And everybody looks at Ned.
1: (laughs) Grandpa! Grandpa! Did they die? What?
0: No! Didn't you listen, kid? I just told you, they have a sliver of eternity left. The years caught up to them, but they still have a little time together. <laughs> so yes, they married, and everything was fine and dandy for a while. But of course, Iniga and Donnie still had a lot of adventures ahead of them. And uh, Ned and Gatwick and Sidney, the crew of the Red Dread, still had a lot of adventures ahead of them. But I think that's a story that I'll tell you another time. Grandpa, Grandpa, um, I noticed this thing where like your voice is really similar to one of the <laughs> characters in the in the story. And also, <laughs> like, my last name is Swell, and everybody else here, your grandchildren's names are Swell Sar, so like, are you Gatwick?
1: Hey, you're taking some of the mystery out of the story, kid. Gorgeous teacher of Marshmallow. We're almost done here.
0: I'll tell you more of my adventures. I mean, the adventures of the crew of the Red Dread some other time. For now, good night. And enjoy the next arc of story, Taz, beginning with the next episode. Who knows what kind of crazy, kooky stories these two will come up with next. Goodbye. Bye! <laughs> <laughs> the children just descend into mad screeching. Ah, oh, it's time for bed now! <laughs> Marshmallows! <laughs> Marshmallow fight!